Welcome to your Breakthrough Blueprint. I'm your host, Becky Oste, a trauma-informed marriage coach. After a decade of failed efforts, I transformed my marriage, parenting, business, and health in just six months by learning how to repair my nervous system and move trauma out of my body. And now I'm here to help you do the same thing. Get ready to hear inspirational stories and walk away with tangible guidance on how to design your blueprint to your breakthrough life. Welcome back to another episode. I'm actually so excited to talk about this. And when I was first putting it together, to be totally honest, guys, I was a bit terrified, like pretty scared thinking about talking personally with you all about my journey with money. Out of everything I've shared so far, all the dirty laundry I've aired, this topic has actually felt the most vulnerable to talk about yet. More than the marriage mess, more than all my failures, more than all of my insecurities, more than all of my parenting mistakes. This one was at first like, oh my gosh, am I really going to speak about this publicly? But my gut is telling me to completely pull back the curtain with the intention and hope that it leads you to your own personal financial breakthrough. If you know me, you know I love the movie Encanto and that song that took the world by storm, We Don't Talk About Bruno. You know, I found that every single family has their own Bruno. Like, we don't talk about this subject. It's too taboo. When we bring it up, it's triggering. For us in our marriage, our Bruno was money for sure. And so why do I want to talk about this today? I actually talk to women every single day about their marriage and their money, and I am not a financial coach, but I do have the best financial coach on the planet and have learned a lot from him, Justin Buonamo. But money comes up with every single woman that I talk to because one, we are living in a time where our economy is in a bit of a let's say, temper tantrum. It's been wild, you know, from the pandemic rattling our businesses, as well as our energetic sense of security being threatened. You know, inflation has crashed our communities. Eggs feel like a freaking endangered species. We all feel it. So this is the first reason it comes up so often. And number two, money arguments are the second leading cause of divorce behind infidelity. You know, high levels of debt and poor communication lead to stress and anxiety when it comes to finances. Nearly half of couples with 50K or more in debt say money is their top reason for arguing. And nearly two-thirds of all marriages start off in debt. So you better bet your bottom dollar that this topic comes up in my world and in my coaching space a lot. So no, not a financial coach, zero desire to be that, but I am the master of restoring intimacy in relationships. And guess what? Money is a relationship. It's an energetic relationship that gets wounded and triggered and traumatized just like our relationships with people. So today is just going to be my messy money story full of mistakes and mishaps that has for the first time reached a place of thriving intimacy. Yep, might sound weird. I said intimacy, but hang with me. So ultimately, 
I'd just love to save you 15 years I spent spinning my wheels in this department. And I hope for you after listening to this episode that you begin to associate the word money with something deeply beautiful, positive, liberating, stress-free, and dare I even say fun. So with any relationship, let's start at the beginning. What were my first memories with money? I, the earliest memory I can remember is being in first grade. And do you remember the like, was it the projector? It was like that 90s big gray box with glass and the teacher would put a paper down and project it onto, yeah, the screen. I think that was called a projector. And my 90s babies know what I'm talking about. And she brought money up. And she put coins on that projector. So we were learning, like, what's the difference between a nickel and a dollar and a dime, all those things. And for some reason, I just could not comprehend it. (laughs) Like, I was good at all the other stuff we had learned in first grade so far. But something about money, I remember that being the first time in first grade that I felt like I'm falling behind and I'm a little too afraid to ask questions. I'm not sure. I'm mixing these coins up. I don't remember what she said. So my very first conscious association with money was stress and shame. You know, my first wounds with money, I would say, are the explicit and implicit messages that I received. So starting with the explicit messages, the things that were said to me growing up, one that I heard a lot from my parents in the house that I grew up in was, we just don't have money for that. You know, we would always shop sales and consignment stores. I never got anything new. And it would bring up shame in school because my friends would be wearing Limited 2. How many of you out there remember the store? Limited 2. Now it's called Justice. But my mom would shop at this store called Love Me Two Times. That was the store that we went to growing up as a consignment shop. And it was all secondhand clothes. And I remember feeling so embarrassed. And as little girls, you know, we'd all ask like, where'd you get your shirt from? And we still do that as women. But I would have so much shame that like, oh, and I I think I would lie. Like I wouldn't even, I don't remember what I would say. I just remember lying, feeling ashamed. Or how about this one? Money doesn't grow on trees. It sends this message that like it's hard to get money that's wired into a lot of us since we were little but my friend Jeremy Newsom who I'll have on the podcast at some point you know he is you know a billionaire from stock market trading and he wrote a book called money does grow on trees and his whole point is like actually money is made from trees like you cut down a tree you turn it into paper and that is money But the whole book is about like resourcefulness and changing your paradigm and shifting the energy from scarcity to abundance and watching how energetic attraction can pull money in along with learning the more masculine strategies and things like that about building wealth. But that was said to me growing up. Money doesn't grow on trees. And then another message was like, rich people are showy or greedy. Uh, We had friends that had this big van. It was called a Gladiator. And there was a TV in it. And in the 90s, that was like, whoa, they're rolling. Like, that's a big deal. When I'd go over her house and her dad would drive us to the mall, we'd go in the Gladiator. And I'd come home and be like, oh, my gosh, mom, dad, it was so cool. We watched a movie on the way to the mall. 
And there was just this response of like, wow, like, yeah, some people spend money on that, but, you know, we're down to earth and we don't need those fancy things. It would always be some kind of response like that. Or we had cousins. Um, I mean, I still have cousins, but they live in uh, the wealthiest part of Connecticut, where I'm from, on the highest hill in Glastonbury, Connecticut. And they literally live in a mansion. Like they have a waterfall in their house. They have like a like a castle type thing, like this spiraling staircase that leads to this top point lookout of their home that could overlook the whole city of Hartford. Um, they have their own apple orchard on the property, pool, movie theater in the home, like all the things. And it was amazing, you know, for me. But then I remember my my mom, I can't remember if my dad just making comments of like, oh, they're just like doing that for, you know, show or looks or whatever. And I was like, okay, there's an association that if you have nice things that you are lavish or there's like a negative association or too much or greedy. How about this one? There's a scripture in the Bible. Money is the root of all evil. You know, that's taken out of context a lot. It actually says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money in and of itself is neutral. You know, you can think of it like a shovel. We can use a shovel to plant a beautiful garden, or we can use a shovel to hit someone over the head with it and cause harm. You know, it's just a tool. And... It's more of a mirror to what's inside. So some people, when they have money, yes, greed comes out and people do really terrible things, you know, who have a lot of money. For other people, when they have a lot of money, they give generously and start, you know, foundations and offer healing to the poor and use it for mission trips. So money itself is not the root of all evil. It's the love, the obsession, the being slave to, the over-adoration to money. So all that to say, money was literally never talked about in a positive way for me growing up. It was either dangerous or dirty or stressful, evil, scarce. Those were all the explicit messages, the things that came out of my parents' mouth. But then the implicit messages, just like what were mirrored to me, just kind of the messages that I got from observing My dad was an electrical engineer for the Navy. He worked on submarines and flew all over the world and brought me back cool things from Japan. But he would drive an hour and a half each way. So three hours of commuting time a day. And so I didn't get to see him a whole lot. You know, he got home late, woke up very early, and then he was traveling the world, like I said. But we never had an overflow of money. You know, like I said previously, my parents would often say, like, we don't have enough for that or... We don't need to spend on that. And I remember vividly seeing my mom very stressed out. The only time I remember visually witnessing them dealing with money, it was always my mom, like balancing the checkbook or calling around to follow up with different payments and overcharges and always this very stressed, anxious energy. I remember her being on the phone being like, ah. Can you just explain this to me? Like, give it to me, like dummies 101 version. Like, what is this bill for? Like, those are the memories I have. So I didn't know anything about money. All I knew as a little girl watching this was like, whoa, whatever that money thing is, that seems stressful and really hard because she keeps saying how she can't understand it and to dumb it down to her 
And so again, another association for me that was made with money. So those are the messages, the first wounds, I would say, in my relationship with money. The second wound is more of an episode. I remember being in the car one day and I noticed the difference between, you know, me and my friends. We didn't have cable. We had one of those like antennas on our TV and all of my friends had cable. We didn't have any like video games or electronics. And my friends were getting these like cool things for Christmas and birthdays. And my house was kind of the boring house. Like I was embarrassed to have friends over and I would always want to go to other people's houses. And so I remember asking my dad one day, like, dad, I was in the car with him and my mom, are we ever going to be rich? And I remember him saying, yeah, one day, baby, we will. And I remember, I don't know why this stands out to me, but like, I remember feeling this energy that was like very unconvincing. Like it didn't feel like he even believed it. And I remember not feeling convinced in that moment. And then you all know my story if you've listened to any of my podcasts that my dad died suddenly when I was 18. And so that day never came. So I feel like that ingrained in me that like money is always going to be just out of reach. Um, It's always going to feel like real financial freedom and liberation is going to be like that carrot on the stick that you're never actually really going to be able to grab. So even as a kid, I remember growing up with a piggy bank and I was a saver. Like I'd save, 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 never spend. But I remember stealing a scrunchie. First time I ever stole was from the mall. I was seven, stole a scrunchie and then got in trouble for it later when my mom found out. I remember stealing $20 a couple years later from my brother's wallet. And then I think a year passed and then the guilt got to me and I told him, I was like, John, I stole a dollar from your wallet last year. And he, you know what he did? I was like ready for him to be so disappointed in me or just look at me differently. And he laughed and he gave me a $5 bill. And I felt so awful. I To this day, I don't think I still told him the truth. I need to call my brother and tell him the truth. But I had this scarcity mindset, scarcity mindset, energy of fear since very little In high school, I stole a winter coat from the mall. This was a big one. I literally put it on, furry hood and everything, and walked out of there with my friend. And we ran across the parking lot and sat down in a section in Olive Garden. This is so embarrassing. We sat down, we got the free bread and the free salad, and then said we didn't want any more and left. Like, can you get any stingier than that. And then I went on, we shoplifted regularly from this one store that didn't have the buzzers, you know, that go off. Um, And so it was really easy to shoplift from there. And it actually took years, even after I stopped, to unwire the, the fear, that like anxiety of walking out of a store, wondering if the buzzer was going to go off. Even for years when I knew I wasn't doing that anymore, I still would have that moment of like, <gasps> hold my breath. I don't anymore. Thank God I was in my past life. But then in college, I remember getting my first roommate. We got our own place and she asked me to write my half of the rent check. Guys, I had no idea how to write a rent check. 
I was so embarrassed. I was like, can you teach me how to write a rent track? And she looked at me like I was crazy. I was like, I just don't know how to do it. I've never been taught no financial literacy here. I um, was victim to one of those free t-shirts to open a credit card my freshman year of college. I was like, oh, it's a cute t-shirt. Yeah, sure. I don't know what this is. I'll sign up for a credit card. My mom was so mad. And then I remember my third year, junior year, I was studying abroad in Chile and all of my friends from my program were going to Patagonia. Like, oh my God, Patagonia, beautiful, breathtaking, like life-changing mountains, snow, just as far as you can see. And I chose not to go because I had this scarcity mentality of, I better save. I don't need to splurge. In retrospect, that's seriously one of my biggest regrets. I'm like, I was like an hour plane ride away from Patagonia and I chose not to go. Oh my God. Like, what were you thinking? Oh, I'm sorry to be yelling in your ear. I was like, that's a big regret, but because of a scarcity mindset. The third wound, I remember um, Ollie was nine months old. Ollie's our firstborn. Uh, my husband and I had just left Seattle and moved to Virginia, and we were living in his parents' basement. We got down to $20 to our name. We blew through our entire savings to move back home to be close to family. And we were on WIC support, which is um, free formula from the state and food stamps. And this time in my life was just awful. It was so stressful. I was sleeping like on a couch in the basement in a crammed house, a crammed townhouse, like no money, waiting tables. And our marriage was just coming undone. It was it was awful. That was like really when some of the biggest trauma within our marriage began to happen. And so again, it's this association of like when money gets at its worst, marriage also gets at its worst and life. That's the third wound. That was a big one. The fourth, I would say is in my previous network marketing career, which was so much of a gift and so beautiful in so many ways. But one of the wounds that came from that was tying money to my worth. You know, four years of being in that type of business, month end is really when you're pushing for big goals and you're hustling like crazy and you're trying to earn, you know, there's so many different prizes and trips and things to achieve. And so the end of the month was the most stressful time. And even, you know, now as I'm unwiring a lot of that, I was telling one of my coaches um, last month, like, hey, I noticed that my body gets a little more anxious towards the end of the month. And she pointed out, that's so normal. Like, think of what you'd been doing for the last uh, four years. You need to get out of that mindset of like the month to month thing. Like, this is your life now. You know, this is you're in your purpose. You're financially free. You're not tied to a schedule or somebody else's deadlines. And so in that career, though, I learned how to make a lot of money, but I didn't know how to keep it. I I thought because of how much I achieved that I should be balling. Like I earned a free car in that company. I've reached the top 2%. I was earning free trips to Disney, all the things. And yet my savings account and lifestyle were showing nothing for it. I was just constantly hustling with no time for just relaxing and enjoying and my bank account, you know, we were dipping into savings month after month, still living paycheck to paycheck. Like, 
what's going on. I don't know if you know this statistic, but 70% of lottery winners end up going bankrupt within that year. The year that they win, 70% go bankrupt. Like not just broke. Broke is my six-year-old son is broke. He has $10 to his name. He also has no expenses, nothing to pay, no debts. Bankrupt is like legally you have been labeled with this bankruptcy of like you cannot pay your outstanding debts. So why is that? You know, the nervous system is designed and wired to constantly keep you in your comfort zone. If you step outside your comfort zone, whether for good or bad, it just sees danger. And so with money, you know, our nervous systems, I will get into this a little bit later, all have a different blueprint of what we're wired to feel is like what we deserve, what we're worth, what is, you know, the right amount of money. And so if you're just schmo Joe, you know, used to 70K a year and then all of a sudden you win 7 million, your nervous system freaks out a bit and you end up spending it like crazy, not knowing how to manage it. It's, you know, it's a phenomenon that can show up in all of our lives, but really it's just obvious in that example of lottery winners. I was in this pattern with my money of being afraid to check my bank account. I was a total avoider when it came to finances in this past career, like making all this money, but then not having anything to show for it. I remember trying to pay for my best friend's birthday at The Palm, which is like a really ritzy um, fine dining steakhouse in DC. And I was like, I'll treat you. Like, I just got a great commission check, yada, yada. And I remember coming the time for the check um, to be delivered. And I was so stressed. I was so nervous. And I'm like looking at my phone under the table, hoping that she didn't notice. And I open my bank account and I see there's like $20 left in my checkings. And I was like, oh, crap. And so I transferred from savings. And it was just this you know, shame, this lack of integrity, this feeling like I can't be honest. And me and her laugh about that now, but that's just where I was at. So over the course of my adulthood, I tried books, financial courses, meeting with advisors, did the Dave Ramsey course with my church, you know, trying to stick to a budget, living on beans and rice, listen to podcasts for healing this area of money. And yet none of it stuck. I remember listening to podcasts and women talking about their, you know, breakthroughs and their financial abundance and yada, yada. And I would always put this imaginary glass ceiling or like wall up between me and them. Like it would always feel like I was listening to somebody from another world that I would never really get to be able to step into. And so what ended up being the turning point was... I mean, you guys know my story. My marriage ended up after 10 years and two kids later, we were separated and on the verge of divorce. And that's when I stumbled upon this course that was a $5,400 investment to learn how to save my marriage by repairing my nervous system and moving trauma out of my body. And my scarcity wired body you know, that little seven-year-old girl inside of me who stole that scrunchie from the mall was screaming, don't do this. You don't have enough. 
and you won't have enough for later. Money doesn't grow on trees. It'll take forever to get that back. You don't even know if this is going to work. This is so illogical. You just met this woman off Instagram. Are you crazy? This is the sound of our ego. It's the little girl inside of us that's been wounded and is doing everything in her power to protect you from pain. The difference between ego and intuition is ego screams, it shouts, it's loud, it's clamoring and chaotic. It feels like death. It feels like fear. It feels like sometimes the logical route, but the energy is constricted and small and knotted and trapped. Intuition, on the other hand, feels like, against all logic, this quiet, still whisper is saying, go for it. It's your gut telling you that this is for your higher good. Intuition feels like love. It feels like expansion. feels like possibilities. It may hold nerves, but it's that nervous butterfly in your tummy type of energy. The one that says, oh my gosh, what if this is actually for me? So this was the first time in my life I ever made a money decision led by my intuition over my brain. I remember thinking, this is absolutely crazy, but I've been following this woman for three weeks and binging every single piece of her content she's ever posted. And I've never done that on anyone's page in my life. And I can't explain it, but I just feel like deep down in the very fibers of my being that I meant to find a way to get into her space no matter the cost. And so I remember having a call with her and everything in my body was screaming yes. And then I was holding my breath. She said, do you have any questions for me? I was like, I'm all in, but I'm terrified to ask you the price. <laughs> uh, and then she told me the price. And I had all of that going through my head that I just shared with you. But then I said, yes. I leaned forward. I held my breath. I leapt in. And it led to the breakthrough in every single area of my life, starting with my marriage, my money, my parenting, then business, health, spirituality, and so much more. It led me to my aligned purpose, the work I do now. It literally does not tire me anymore. Like I, I don't get burnt out. I have unlimited energy getting to do what I do because that's how much it lights me up and how aligned it feels to me. So many of us aren't tired because we're doing too much. It's because we're not doing enough of what actually lights us up. That's what's draining. So for a while, you know, when I began this program, all I could focus on was my marriage. There was still no like tracking habits with our money, no communication about finances between Sebastian and I. We were just trying to sort through all the trauma first that we had been through. So, you know, we had no investment strategy, no mission for our money, none of that. Marriage for me was my blaring alarm that I had to pay attention to first before even having the energy to tackle anything else. But when we experienced our relationship being resurrected from the dead in a matter of what I learned in a freaking eight-week course after 10 years of trying everything else to save it, I was losing my mind to say the least, like in the best way. And everything in my body was pulling me to put this into the world some way, somehow. I remember asking my coach, 
that my relationship coach, I was like, how do I do what you do? And so she referred me to a business coach. And that business coach, oh my gosh, was a 10K investment. And I was like, this makes no sense. I just paid $5,400 for this marriage course. And now I feel it loud as day on my heart to start a business. And the coach that I want to go with, 10K, like really? So I'm having these conversations with Sebastian. A lot of talking back and forth, days, you know, going back and forth on this. And then I decided to go for it. Again, I leaned in, I held my breath, and I leapt forward. And you might not even believe what I'm about to tell you because it's hard for me to even believe that this happened. But the next day, guys, after making this investment, I opened my mailbox and I get a check from my late grandfather who had passed away three years prior. And it was a check that he left from his estate for me for (laughs) $10,000. Like, it's just still hard to believe. I literally fell down on the sidewalk and started crying. My neighbors probably thought, I don't know what they were thinking. They probably thought I was crazy. But I was just like praising God, like went inside, sobbed, and it just was the first positive association I remember having with money in my whole life. And it was more than the money. It was this knowing, this deep, deep knowing that, oh my God, I am on the right path and I'm supernaturally supported. So this was a pivotal moment in my money journey. Like I'd only had negative associations with money my entire life. And this was an unbelievable incident that I can only call a miracle, which ended up imprinting on my subconscious in a big way that, yeah, I'm supernaturally supported. And when I say yes to my gut, when it comes to money decisions, supernatural support will show up. And that it more often than not, in my experience and women that I've talked to, more often than not, it takes our willingness first to step forward before the results manifest. So that's when I started ID Breakthrough. I started with a beta program. It was like, okay, guys, who wants to sign up as a student in my beta program? I don't know if this is going to work for you. It worked for me. Let's see how this goes. And their testimonials just blew all of us away. I ended up stepping down from my director position in my network marketing career, turned in my free car. I broke some hearts along the way, including my own on a level because this had really become my family. And yet at the same time, I just knew with every cell of my being that I was now meant to focus exclusively forward on serving married women. That's where my heart was. And so here I was making more money in two months than I'd made in a whole year in my previous career. And I thought to myself, oh, crap. Now it's time to get my ish together with my money because I'm serious now and I don't want to F this up. And I want to show up in integrity for my clients, my family, and most importantly, myself. So there I was, marriage breakthrough, business breakthrough, now financial breakthrough that I was terrified of messing up. And right there with this breakthrough came along the image of us struggling 
back when Ollie was nine months old, living in my in-laws basement down to $20 to our name, waiting tables at glory days and living on food stamps and free formula from the state. So what I did next was I hired my friend, Andrew, my best friend's husband. I had to start somewhere. I knew he was good with money. And I literally, I was just like, Andrew, can I pay you for your time just to help me? Like I need a dummies 101 crash course to financial competency. And man, we did such amazing work together. I'm going to have him on the podcast at some time just to talk through the subconscious rewiring and healing that he was able to guide me through. But he had me write a letter and I remember reading it to him. And what came out was honestly just so much shame over my incompetency. And I was crying as I shared. In fact, at the beginning of my money healing journey, I cried like every time I talked about it. It's kind of like getting a massage, like when they hit that muscle that like you never had touched before. And you're like, oh my God, you're like, I didn't realize how badly I needed a massage there. Like it was just so frozen because it hadn't been tended to in so long. So he helped me lay the foundation of rewiring money wounds. And then (laughs) laughing It's just like none of this. Again, it's just like illogical. Like it's just intuition leading the way. But I had heard um, a very dear friend of mine who you've heard on the podcast. She was one of our first episodes, Kelly Brock. She was um, one of my business coaches that I invested in. And she, for years, had talked about Justin Buonimo, you know, this friend of hers who ran a very successful financial coaching business to help people reach financial freedom in their personal finances. And I started talking with them because, okay, I had done some healing, but I still felt like I needed more support. I needed more work in this area of money. And so I invested 7K in his coaching program. And again, the seven-year-old in me started getting loud when I was on the fence of this decision. And she was screaming like, this makes no sense. You're supposed to be saving money and not spending more. And again, it was this gut decision. I was tired of suffering and I was ready to be free of the guesswork, the self-doubt, and the anxiety that dominated my thoughts and my body every single day. And I fully believe why I was so successful in my coaching relationship with Justin is because of the the deeper subconscious nervous system work I had done with Andrew right before. So total transparency. I invested a lot, a lot in coaching and higher education last year alone in the middle of economic instability, in the middle of gas prices skyrocketing. And yet I did it in a conscious, calculated, and confident fashion, led by my intuition, but married with the logic I had learned along the way. And it's turned into a life and a business that I wake up every day excited to meet, like it's Christmas morning. And that was not always how I woke up. There's been times in my life I've been so depressed that I I dreaded that part of the day. I dreaded waking up. It was the darkest, grimmest part of my day. And so it's not like this is natural for me, but all of the healing that's taken place, this is honestly how I wake up now. So excited that I just get to deposit something so real and meaningful and effective and personal into other people's lives. 
Got a business that brings in a nourishing income for me and my family with ideal clients coming to me, excited to pay in full and on time so that I don't have to worry about putting food on my family's table or taking breaks after being so used to a decade just strung out on scarcity and hustle. So now I feel totally energetically freed up to pour into my clients and blow their socks off with their client experience. And all of this I'm sharing because I want my clients, I want all of my listeners to have this kind of energetic liberation in a world that is dominated by fear-mongering, greed, manipulation, you know, scarcity, and deep, deep struggle in this department of money. So I bring in guest experts to my coaching container. We talk about this stuff. You know, I truly believe there's enough space for all of us to thrive financially. I wake up now not stressed about money for the first time in my life. You know, I I now can sense others' energy. Like we went out to dinner the other night with friends and I was sitting next to a good friend of mine. And she was making so many comments about the price, you know, throughout the whole dinner. Like, oh, should I get this size beer or that size? Like, oh, the price difference, you know, just nervous, stressed. And when the bill came, you could just feel the energy um, of anxiety. And I get it. Like it just becomes all consuming and it steals your ability to enjoy the present. And I wouldn't have noticed that before because I was just swimming in it myself. Like I was stressed too. I'd be like trying to enjoy dinner and trying to be present, but this was always in the background. And now I'm noticing like, wow, I'm actually able to be present to life because this isn't stealing my, my mind space up anymore. Like I just feel free from the stress of it. And so it's also been important for me just to have integrity with my clients. You know, I, I'm really grateful just to have all of this freed up, you know, attention and focus and energy to be able to really pour into them and to feel totally just in my zone of genius, giving without any hesitation or feeling tapped out. And so why was this nervous system work this clearing trauma out of my body thing, finally the key for me, it's because it got to the root of my subconscious blueprint, which all of us have a blueprint. You know, a blueprint is just a detailed plan, picture, or program of action serving as a model or providing guidance. We all have a blueprint for our marriage, you know, a blueprint for our money. It's not a matter of if we have one, but if it's just if we're conscious to what it is. So you change the fruit by changing the root. All this stuff I've shared about my money up until this point, that's all the root stuff. For years, I was just trying to change the fruit. Like, oh, let's keep this budget or download this tracking app or try the cash system. It's like pulling an apple off a tree and hoping that will turn it into an avocado tree because avocados are better than apples, obviously. But it doesn't work. If you want an avocado tree, you got to, you know, plant one. Got to pull that apple tree up by the roots, plant a new tree. I remember some victories after doing that. I remember getting caught up on like a year of procrastinated bills. I took a picture of the stack and sent it to um, the client community in Justin's coaching program. I was like, guys, 
This is the past year of bills I have put off and I'm paying every single one of them today. And it hurt because that seven-year-old girl, you know, in my head was popping up like, no, don't pay that now. You won't have enough for later. And it felt so freaking good to clear that out of, again, the energetic baggage that I was carrying. I started having conversations with Sebastian about money for the first time, really on this level of deep money wounds, you know, like, and honestly, it led to some of the most triggering arguments we've had this year. But every time we'd have a really tough conversation, I'd say to him, I'm so happy we're talking about this and having the hard talks instead of sweeping it under the rug like we have for 15 years just because it felt easier. So something beautiful that happened this year is I got to see my husband step in and begin coaching my son's soccer team, which is something he's always dreamed of doing. My son is almost seven and he's been able to step back at work and not work as much. And, you know, me get to take care of that load that he's taken care of for so long and him just enjoy coaching and focusing on his band more. He's in a punk band and um, he's been playing concerts and going to practices and he's just like happier. He's a happier human getting to do the things that light him up. So I'm grateful now about all those investments that I made where I trusted myself and my gut, even when the fear of failure was loud and my scarcity mindset wanted to kick in. And I can also see clearly now that my fear of investing money was actually the exact thing that was holding me back from my marriage breakthrough. Like I didn't realize how much my subconscious scarcity surrounding money was the exact thing sabotaging my marriage that fear of, can I afford this? What if it doesn't work out? It kept me from following my gut until I got to a place where I knew I can't afford not to. It'll either cost me some money up front or in the long term cost me my marriage, my sanity, my health, and my family. Because that's where we were. And now I can also see that investing money into my marriage would actually save me so much money in the long run because you can look it up by your state, but the average cost of divorce in my state is 14500 And knowing, you know, our two incomes together and one mortgage can meet so many more needs and, you know, pool our money together than separate incomes, two mortgages, travel costs involved if there's split custody and child support. You know, these are the obvious ones, but then you add in all the numerous hidden costs like title transfer fees, stock dividend splits, taxes, retirement accounts, all the stuff that comes if, you know, my husband and I hadn't had invested in this and what ended up saving our marriage. And so I share all this to say, I know it can be scary, but you really can learn to trust yourself and lead yourself with so much confidence to make wise financial investments. Even if you've made mistakes in the past, even if you've been burned by help that you've sought out in the past, even if you're afraid of failure, you can decide today with compassionate curiosity and radical acceptance that, you know, I'd like to begin learning from my mistakes and fear and explore a new set of wisdom a new perspective, and a new money blueprint moving forward. So as we land this plane, let me offer you a few practicals that all my logic-brained, strategy-talking listeners have been waiting for this whole episode. 
So how do we begin to heal money wounds and make informed, intuitive financial decisions that lead to the greatest return on investment? Okay, one, it's one of my favorites, writing a letter to money, like dear money, and sharing like what you remember your initial interactions being, like what have been wounds, what have been positives that you're grateful for, how have you felt towards money? What do you want to say? Like, what do you want to apologize for to money? Where do you want to go next with money? What do you hope for your future with money? It really is an intimate relationship that can be cultivated. And just like my story where my husband and I were separated and on the verge of divorce, a lot of us are there with money. We're separated. We're not talking. You know, we're like, oh my God, are we ever going to talk again? And with this kind of work, you can restore intimacy. Number two, tap into your five senses. So when I first started tracking my money, you know, Justin taught me how to create a budget that was really easy and track every dollar that comes in and out. At first, it freaked me the heck out. I was like, this is what I've been avoiding for so long. I don't want to see the numbers. And so before going in and looking at my bank account, I would literally stop and name five things I saw four things I could hear, three things that I could touch, two things that I could smell, and one thing that I could taste. And it would get me out of that fight, flight, freeze response back into my safety system. Then I was like, "Ah, I'm not going to die. I can look at the numbers. Okay. Number three, just start having conversations about where you're really at. You know, like I remember starting just to talk to my best friend about what I was learning. I was like, Like I said, I would literally cry a lot at the beginning because it was like a muscle that hadn't been massaged. But find a safe space, even if it's just one friend and share, you know, your takeaways from this episode or what came up for you or just what you're feeling about money today. Number four, start following people who are where you'd like to be financially. Take advice from people whose shoes you'd like to be in. So I can make recommendations. Like I said, Justin Buonamo, I'll put his Instagram in the show notes. Jeremy Newsom, my friend as well, I'll put his Instagram in the show notes. Kelly Brock, um, the Rich Dad Radio Show. That's a podcast that I follow that I personally like. But you may find something totally different people, totally things that are more up your alley. But just starting to lean in and follow people that are going to be depositing seeds, whether you know, it's not time to like harvest them. It's not going to bloom overnight, but at least the seeds are being planted. You listening to this podcast today is one. This is a great example. Number five, ask yourself, what is the loudest alarm in my life right now? Like what area, if you calmed that area down, would allow you the mental capacity and energetic capacity to begin healing money wounds eventually? So for me, like I said, it was my marriage at first. For some people, it's their health. Like health is just in crisis right now. Like that's the first fire that needs to be put out. So what is it for you? And then six, in making an investment decision, you know, maybe it's a house, you know, that you're going to buy or a coach you're going to invest in or a move you're going to make or whatever the investment is. Ask yourself, does this feel like hope, like possibilities, like expansion, that what if energy, the nervous butterflies, or does this feel like constricting, like what I should do, what I'm supposed to do? Does this feel like fear, like anxiety? 
a good rule of thumb that I go by now in making financial decisions is just like, how does my body feel? Your body does not lie to you. How does your body feel when you actually take the time to ground it? Like get yourself into a grounded energy, do the five senses, get into a safe system. And then when you think about it, how does your body feel? Does it feel safe or is there, you know, heart palpitations starting? Like, does this feel like, oh my God, this is going to like wreck my nervous system if I make this financial decision? That can be super helpful. Just a couple examples. One client of mine, she was nervous to do the program. And then right after saying yes, she got news from her tax accountant that they would owe that exact amount less than he had previously told her for taxes, the exact cost of the program. She texted me right away. She's like, oh my gosh, it's a sign. She went through my program. She was A plus student, just like knocked it out of the park, had some of the most phenomenal results. And then she actually just invested in a business coach. And for her, um, it was a big investment. And the very next day, her dad surprised her and decided to pay for it in full for her. So just amazing. This was a woman who, against all logic, she was following her intuition and had her own story, you know, of supernatural support. Uh, Another good friend of mine, she's looking into the program to enroll this month. And she texts me and she's like, okay, I'm ready. And then the next day she finds out from her work that she's getting a bonus of the exact amount of the program cost. I'm like, what in the world? This, this is so cool. So healing your money wounds, guys, will not only be worth the time because it's getting to the subconscious root, but it will change your life and heal generational wounds and cycles And it can create this worldwide ripple effect of healing one woman at a time, just spilling into your families and aligning you with your purpose. And there's just so much in store for you when you begin going down this route. And I would love to hear what kind of thoughts and questions and ideas this episode brought up for you. You can always feel free to email me at beckyoste at idbreakthrough.org. Or, you know, find me on Instagram. You can send me a DM anytime. But thank you. Thank you for holding space for me as I shared the most vulnerable piece of me that I've shared yet on this show. It's an area that I carried so much shame in for so many years. And every time I've spoken my truth, you know, starting in those private safe spaces till I was ready to share on this platform, every single step along the way has been healing for me. And so I pray today this was deeply healing for you too. And I love you to pieces. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. I love and appreciate you so much. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and leave us a rating or review to help others find the show. To learn more about working with me or joining the I Do Breakthrough community, head over to my Instagram at Rebecca Lee Aste, where you can learn all about my program in my bio. And please send me a DM with your takeaway from today. I'd be honored to connect and know what landed for you. I hope you have an amazing day and I'll chat with you next week. Music.